Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossett, managing editor of FightfulMMA.com, Fightful.com, and of course, FightfulSelect.com. Check out our Fightful Select premium service. I do UFC rankings updates, several exclusive podcasts there. We have a lot more on the wrestling end of things, but we're adding stuff to the uh, MMA end as well. The show also brought to you by omgi.com. Admittedly, I had no clue what ghee was until about two weeks ago. Now it's the only thing that I will cook with. I don't use butter anymore. Don't even use canola oil anymore. It is uh, a very natural, organic way to get your healthy fats in, to get your omega-3s, to get your omega-9s. It's a great source of vitamin A, D, E, and K. It is high in healthy fat content. Monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats are essential to athletes and to those who want to cut body fat and increase their overall health. Their ghee at omghee.com is made of 100% organic essential fats. It's free of additives. It's free of preservatives, chemicals, and flavor enhancers. You've got to check it out. I mentioned uh, on the show this week I cooked some pork chops with it. It was fantastic. Use the code FIGHTFULMMA and get yourself a discount over there. Also, Get a hold of them on Twitter at OMGButter. Let them know where you heard about them. I am joined today by the man who provides FightfulMMA.com with plenty of interviews, plenty of content. And you stocked up on it before vacation, but you're back and you're ready to rock. It's James Lynch. What's up, Sean? What's up, everyone? Glad to be here. Appreciate it. It was uh, it was quite the card tonight. So I'm out of all cards to come back and uh, you know talk some fights. This was uh, this was a good one to do it for. Yeah, and we've got a couple of months of interesting scheduling conflicts next month. Well, I'll definitely be covering the UFC show. It's the same night as a New Japan show in America on August fourth. I actually have an obligation that night, but we we got a fight announced for that Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson rematching against uh, Henry Cejudo so that is on the docket but ahead of all that we got UFC 225 and I'll go ahead and take care of the out of the cage notes it was announced tonight that new WWE superstar Ronda Rousey inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame this year what do you think about that James I think it's interesting timing that they decided to just do this right now. Uh, I guess Rhonda, I'm assuming, has given her indication that she's not coming back. I mean, we sort of knew that, but just for them to, to make this announcement now, I'm assuming this is probably attached to International Fight Week where they want to sort of bo- boost that up a little bit because that's usually when they do the inductions and everything. So I think they're just like, you know what? We need a big name this year. We need to create some buzz around International Fight Week. So I think they, they just decided to, to go with it now. And, you know, she's deserving. Whether people want to, you know, look at the losses she's had, you know, in her exit of the UFC, uh, she's definitely deserving for the period of time she did and just for what she's done for women's mixed martial arts. But uh, yeah, when I saw it, it was a little bit surprised, but I, now that I thought about it, it's kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, you, you can't think of many other more deserving candidates to headline than, than a Ronda Rousey, especially if she's done. And even at 31, I mean, we know that she was pulled from the UFC rankings. She, there's no way that she was in the USADA pool for the last year or so, even though, they would not say that she was retired, but she still was in the UFC rankings, which is a weird thing to me, that she could be in the UFC rankings and be in the USADA or not be in the USADA pool. And you there, USADA won't comment on it for whatever reason. It's, it's really weird. But if you're not getting tested, you shouldn't be in the rankings. I mean, flat out. And we'll see if those rankings even stick around after Fox deal is up. Because, I mean, they were the ones that pushed for it, but... You look back and Ronda Rousey 
had such great success with that title. I mean, she's credited with with what six UFC bantamweight title defenses, but really it was seven because she beat Sarah Kaufman in Strike Force, and that was the division. That was the primary women's division. <clears throat> and it's easy to look back and say that she was overrated then, but for so long, nobody had an answer for her judo. There was no answer to that, and her judo opened up her hands and made for some pretty great knockouts. And, of course, you ran into really high-level, effective strikers in Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes that put that to a halt. So I'm looking forward to it. She seemed to be much more well-received by that crowd than she was by many UFC crowds towards the end of her run, James. That's true, and the Chicago crowd was a little rough tonight. So, so you know, the fact that uh, you know there was some good reception there is is good news. But uh, I think the big thing, uh, just to, you know, quickly to talk on Rousey, uh, the the fact that she had those that that period where she had those really quick victories and they they sort of went viral. I think that really helped women's mixed martial arts, and it also just helped her stock as well. And I think if you know she won a couple fights by decision, it wouldn't have been the same effect that she had. And and I think people need to focus on that. And that that was pretty amazing. That period where you know she submitted Katz and Ghana, or she you know submitted Katz and Ghana, she uh, you know defeated Sarah McMahon and, and Alexis Davis all in that period where I think you could take all the fights and it was like less than 30 seconds so that to me will always stand out in the history of uh, the UFC and mixed martial arts I don't think her successful run in WWE has exactly hurt her relationship with fans as well I think that helped rebuild some goodwill because she stole the show at Wrestlemania this year yeah UFC yeah. go ahead sorry Oh no no! I was gonna I was gonna agree with you. Yeah, she uh, yeah. she definitely uh, won people over that way. But go ahead, sorry. Yeah, you're, you're UFC two twenty five. We have the prelims started out. Mike Santiago got knocked out with the quickness. This was remarkably impressive. Yes, uh, I mean just just an incredible win. Uh, you know for uh, for Dan Ige, uh, you know going out there and get getting the finish there. Um, as far as you know getting it done and uh just you know what can you say uh, just great way to sort of open up the the show uh getting a quick highlight reel finish there really great accurate powerful ground and pound started off a sad streak for the chicago fighters uh that continued with clay guida getting submitted in round one and like i wonder if jason guida before every one of these fights says you know what my brother's half my size let me give him cte before he gets in the cage <laughs> and just slaps him every time it, this was a pretty sloppy fight saw Guida eat a lot of strikes he got a superstar reaction in his hometown and he's going to be one of those guys that when he does hang it up even though I don't think that he needs to right now it's going to be sad to me because he he still looks like he can go and hold his own but if you shoot in a takedown as wild as that you better protect your neck against Charles Oliveira and he didn't do that no, and, and a big win for Charles Oliveira. You know he's had a you know a couple of losses in, in his last couple of fights. Um, but uh, you just look at the level of competitions he was facing. I mean, he, you know, he gets knocked out by Paul Felder, who I think is one of the best lightweights in that division. And I saw a lot of people overlooking him. I saw a lot of people picking Guida as the underdog. And uh, you know, for me, it's just like you know th- this guy is still very talented in Charles Oliveira, and I think he needed a win like this to to you know finish a guy in Guida. I think Guida hadn't been submitted. Uh, since like 2015 or something like that so it's been a while since he's you know lost that way and uh, Oliveira definitely went out there and made a statement tonight and just showed that he's uh, you know still kicking around in the division I wish he would stop talking about kicking around in the 145 division (laughs) yes exactly just stay at lightweight it's working it's working I'm I'm sick of that man it's like from the UFC there are a few things that I tell my fighters not to say don't accuse other fighters of being on steroids publicly don't say they've never fought anybody like me because we hear that all the time. And don't under any circumstances, let Charles Oliveira talk about moving to 145. It didn't work. He doesn't need to do it. How many times did he miss weight? Let's see. One, two, three, four times, four times. That's, that's enough. Don't need to do it again, but he looked great. Um, but he needs to give up that shit. He tied Hoist Gracie with most submission wins in UFC history at 10. That is impressive. Almost even more impressive that Hoist Gracie still had that record. Yeah. After all these years. Yeah. Sergio Pettis very well could have earned a UFC title opportunity by defeating what I consider either the, the number two or number three flyweight of all time. It's really up there between Horiguchi and Benavidez in my estimation. And... Pettis beat him. It was a split decision. Pettis dropped Benavidez twice early, but got taken down. 
I thought that was bad news for Pettis because that size advantage doesn't matter when you're pinned to the mat. Uh, but Benavidez got caught with his chin straight up, like very uncharacteristic of him to pop in. I don't know if it's the new hair. I don't know what the deal is. But his chin was was square up, and I gave Pettis that first round. His takedown defense has improved significantly, though. You've seen the evolution in a Sergio Pettis, and a, a lot of great strikes landed in round three, but most of them for, from Benavidez were kind of wild, and I thought Pettis was still mastering him technically. Uh, I loved that Pettis would feign the guillotine attempts up against the cage just to circle out or to throw knees. What do you think of Pettis' performance and Joseph Benavidez, who I don't want to say he's not back of the line for a UFC flyweight title shot, but this certainly didn't help him. Uh, Pettis had a great game plan, great performance. I really think he did a good job of pressuring Benavidez and really sort of threw him off. And, and you know, Benavidez, just a puzzling performance. But, you know, we got to look at the layoff here in this one. I think that definitely played a factor in this fight. Um, you know, I know f- for some fighters like Dominic Cruz, it doesn't matter. But I, I think it really looked like he was a bit rusty in there. And then just, you know, not really. And, and I don't know if the change of camps have been, uh, you know, an impact as well, too. You know, Benavidez primarily throughout his career has been a team alpha male. Now he's in Vegas training at the PI. Um, you know, how, how has that been as far as, you know, adjusting, not having those same training partners that he was used to, um, you know, at Team Alpha Male? And, uh, yeah, I just think this is a big win for Sergio Pettis. You know, his big knock is he can't seem to fight, you know, beat those guys that are sort of in that higher level, like against Cejudo. And in this fight, he beats a guy that, you know, has fought for the title twice in Joseph Benavidez. And uh, this is a big win for him. And, and, you know, this is good for the UFC because, you know, I don't think I don't think people are really dying to see Joseph Benavides fight for the title again anytime soon. You get Pettis in there. He's got the last name, you know, with the Pettis name with his brother and everything. I'd add some new blood into the situation. And I think, too, we we saw some improvements with Pettis that should suggest that he is getting better. And he's still really young, too. So this oh, was yeah. a, a, a big win for, for not only the, the flyweight division, but also for the UFC, uh, too, just seeing uh, Pettis getting uh, back on the winning track. He's 24. He may have, I think he was the first fighter I ever interviewed. I did a bloodline series for cage passion, but crazy to think now Sergio has more UFC wins than Anthony. Wow. Well, injuries play, injuries play a role for sure. Yeah, they they do. I think you could have given Sergio the title shot after the, the win over Moreno, just because he won four in a row. And that's really all you need in that division is four wins in a row. And it's like, they're like, here you go. Chris Cariasso, take one, take one. But this win over Joseph Benavidez is a big one. Maybe a little bit of karma for Benavidez because I thought that he lost the fight against Cejudo. Yeah, me too. Uh, even yeah, and that was that. It's crazy to think that Benavidez was out of action for a year and a half essentially. But he had that knee injury. Uh, I think it was last year he tore his knee up when he was supposed to fight Tim Elliott. So I think I think that all things considered, it wasn't a promising look for Cejudo or. Benavidez coming back. Also, you have to wonder how a knee injury will affect someone in that division, especially where footwork and speed is so important. But I think Sergio Pettis is there. We had the announcement of Cejudo and Mighty Mouse. And, you know, when Cejudo started to work his way back up in that division, I wasn't keen on the idea until I saw his hands and how much they improved because Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson flat out jobbed him out in their first fight. He he let the guy clinch him, said, what can you do? Kicked him up in the air and then need him repeatedly, and that was it. I don't think that's happening this next time. I don't know if Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson will lose that fight, but I don't think it goes that easy. No, I agree. I definitely agree that it's a more intriguing rematch at this point just with the fact that, uh, like you said, it was a quick win for Demetrius last time. Let's see you know, if Cejudo can make some adjustments and make it actually competitive. And one quick thing, uh, you mentioned Joseph Benavides supposed to fight Tim Elliott. He was actually supposed to fight Ben Wynn, if you remember, um, at right. UFC 110. But uh, nonetheless, um, you know, Benavides is in a weird spot. He might look at moving up at this point because really, I mean, he's not going to get a title shot anytime soon. And I don't think people are really dying to see him do that. And it seems like the UFC is kind of getting rid of the flyweight division to a certain degree because, you know, they're not signing guys. I know Jose Shorty Torres came in, but it, I mean, he basically told me in his interview that he thinks that the UFC is just not bringing in any new flyweights unless it's a short notice opportunity. I found that to be the most interesting aspect. And that was a very interesting interview, but that was the thing I took note of the most is that Shorty Torres was like, yeah, they said they don't want to bring in any other flyweights. Either it was me or they weren't doing bringing in anybody, but yeah, he, him getting a win was really good for that division too, which I mean, Jared Brooks, I think under the radar, I mean, Jared Brooks could very well be three and zero in the UFC right now. He, I thought he, he got a, a rough 
go of it in that decision against uh, God. I can't remember who Davidson Figueroa. Yeah, and then he essentially knocked himself out with <laughs> Sheamus's white noise. Unbelievable, unbelievable. But um, those are the breaks. I'm wondering how Anthony Smith ever made 185. Yeah, let, let alone consistently. Six foot four. He looked a huge light heavyweight, much less a middleweight who had made it for what a decade before this. Yeah. No, it's crazy. It's it's crazy that that he was uh, that he was making that cut, and then uh, you know, of course, his last fight. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that unless they saw the interview I did with Anthony uh, heading into uh, this fight. But you know, he just talked about how he barely made that fight with Thiago Santos, and it, it clearly looked like he's in a better spot fighting at two hundred five now, uh, not having to have those uh, you know that extra the cut. And on top of that, he's entering a division that really could use some new blood, anyways, with uh, you know all the confusion going on with the title picture and everything else. And this was a huge win for Anthony Smith tonight, taking out a former champion and Rashad Evans and also just the fact that you know you, we we got some exciting people to talk about you know Sam Alvey won uh you know a week or so ago and uh now you've got Anthony Smith this division's getting really exciting again you're getting some new guys moving up and I think it really uh it couldn't have gone better for Anthony Smith tonight so obviously we have to address Rashad Evans who guy in the cage here uh, he had contemplated retirement even and and far be it for me to suggest retirement for a guy but it just hasn't looked good for Rashad Evans. He still has, as of now, zero wins against people on the UFC roster right now. Yeah. None. His last win was Chael Sonnen in, in 2003. Yeah. It, do, do, it, you, do you think we see heavyweight Rashad? No, I, I think he's done. And, um, uh, you know, I it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, he, he had a great career. He's fought some really great guys. He won a title. I mean, it, it, you know, a lot of fans now probably look at him and think like, oh, this guy's just a bum. But it's like it, back in the day, he was the guy. I mean, he was, you know, fi- fighting, you know, John Jones and, and all these other fighters uh, and doing really well. And now it's just one of those sad tales. Like it happens to every fighter to, you know, if they, they stick around a little bit too long, you get, uh, you start getting the knockouts and that's the sign, you know, just like Rashad did to Chuck Liddell, you know, sort of a passing of the guard. Then I think we're seeing this now, Anthony Smith knocking out Rashad Evans. It's time for Evans to, to go on to other things. And he's got the broadcasting career. He's talked about helping kids and, you know, uh, really mentoring uh, kids sort of going forward. And then I know he's doing a great job with that. So there's stuff outside uh, the octagon for him at this point. So why, why risk it? He's had a great career, nothing to prove. Yeah, I think it's time to hang it up. He has lost five fights in a row now. The UFC gives an extra leash to those who have held championships. We, we, we've seen it happen, but it's time to go. I love that Anthony Smith called out Sam Alvey. That's mm-hmm. a smart fight. It's a fellow former middleweight, so it's not like he's jumping up too much in, in size. Not like it matters. He's six foot four. Also, UFC history made tonight. He was the first person to ever ask to go to Nebraska for any reason. <laughs> so, Anthony Smith breaking down barriers. Exactly. He's a trailblazer. And uh, he's, he's uh, I believe he's from that area. So that, that's sort of obviously yes. why he want, wants to get the quick uh, turnaround there. But I uh, know he's exciting. You know, you know what? Uh, he, he's a guy that, that finishes a lot of his fights. Um, you know, if you remember, he had a, had a stint with the UFC uh, when he first came in years ago when he was younger. It didn't go well. He fought on the regional scene, came back. And now he's, he's a guy that I personally like watching fight. And he's a great interview, to be honest. If anyone gets a chance to check out any of his stuff or any of the stuff we're doing here on Fightful, he's, uh, he's awesome. So I'm, I'm more than happy to see him get the win here. And I'm excited to see what his future holds at 205 pounds. Yeah, he's won 12 of his last 14. He's won four of his last five in the, in the UFC. Yeah, guys, check out FightfulMMA.com. Go over, click that exclusives tab. You'll find all of James' interviews and a, an article to go with it. If you are watching on YouTube right now, leave us a thumbs up. Subscribe. Hit that little bell notification. We do a Holy Smokes MMA podcast every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern. James has the MMA Industry podcast every Thursday where he talks to a member of the MMA media or an MMA manager. It gives you a peek behind the curtain, not even a peek behind the curtain, just a complete look behind the curtain of uh, how they came to be in that position and how that all works out. We're also on Twitter at Fightful MMA, where Jeremy Lambert is live tweeting the UFC post-fight presser. So you won't miss out on anything there while you're listening to this podcast. Chris De La Rocha, who one of my friends walked into the room and said, Frank Mir? <laughs> and I said, not quite, <laughs> but he actually looks more like a Ken Marino. If you all recognize him from party down or role models, he looks like a 265 pound version of him. 
He defeated Rashad Coulter. This was a hell of a first round, James. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly was. And, you know, interesting for both fighters having both having layoffs, both. I think a lot of people were surprised to still see them on the roster, but they really delivered in this fight. You know, I remember I was doing a, a pre-fight show, uh, you know, heading into this card. And this was sort of the one fight that people looked at and said, ah, you know, this is one that probably didn't need to be on the card, but they delivered. And, you know, Cristal Roca, good for him, man. He's 39 years old. He gets the win here. He uh, first UFC win, I should say, because he lost both of those fights uh, previously. And people uh, don't he, get that third shot. Exactly. And, and he seized it and he took advantage of it. And, you know, it was a fun fight. And it's one of the, you know, Chris Della Roca is never going to go in and fight for a title or, you know, get in contention anytime soon. But this was this was a nice sort of feel good story for, for the night that uh, on a stack card like this that, uh, that, that he needed it. I mean, it couldn't have gone any better for Chris. So the second round wasn't nearly as impressive, but De La Rocha dragged down Coulter and controlled him. It was just this weird mixture of technique and their body types really preventing much of anything from happening and exhaustion from that first round. Uh, Chris couldn't really get a lot of velocity on that ground and pound, but the ref finally saw enough, whether it was via violence or disgust, just called an end to it. And and Coulter wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't going to get any better for him. But a hell of a first round that was. If they had to run this back in like three years, to throw on a show late notice, give it to me because that first round was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It'll be in Bellator though because uh, they have they have you know there's like an age restriction in the UFC, so they, right. they, they're going to move on there. Number eleven, Mirsad Bektik defeated Ricardo Lamas. Number seven, uh, this isn't going to win fight of the night, but <laughs> I, I liked Bektik's control of Lamas's legs on the ground. Like you saw him do a lot of really advanced techniques. And Lamas tried to force the guillotine almost to a fault early on and it's sounded soundly outscored in that round. I don't think Lamas has ever or will ever land a spin kick. <laughs> That's true. Every fight he goes for this. And he's never, never landed it. Uh, Bektik ends up taking home the split decision win that he was favored in, even though he was ranked lower than Lamas. Uh, People knew that he was on the come up. What did you think? Did anything stand out to you in this fight? Not really. I think it's more of just a, you know one of those passing of the guard situations. And and you know what a fall from grace for uh, for Lamas. You know he had that loss to Holloway, and then he got those two big wins over Oliveira and of course over Jason Knight. And now he's lost two in a row. He had that loss against Emmett. Now he gets the loss here tonight. Um, it's unfortunate, and you, you have to wonder with a with a guy who's you know getting up there in age. He's thirty six. Um, you know I, I think he sort of passed his prime at this point. And for Bektik, great win. Uh, Finally, Bektik fighting more than once in a year. I mean, he's always injured or he has some issue of him not fighting. So, uh, you know, he's got two wins this year, which is good. He got the knockout over uh, Pepe earlier this year. I mean, this is a good win for him. But, uh, you know, we still got to see a little bit more. I I see a lot of people sort of hyping this guy up. You know, he's training a TriStar and everything like that. But this is a good win. But he's, you know, if he wants to sort of get to that next level, he's got to, you know, go out and have, uh, you know, better performances than this one. I think we'll agree that this was one of the least exciting fights on the card. But, uh, you know, Bektik gets the win. He's got two in a row now. And I think uh, people have kind of forgot about that loss against uh, Elkins, but, but who knows? Yeah, and I mean, if you run into Elkins, you're going to run into a loss here and there. He's on one of the best streaks of his career. But it's it's weird to call Bektik a prospect, and really you can't anymore. He just beat Ricardo Lamas. But before this, people still kind of were, even though he was ranked. But he had been in the UFC since 2014. But as you mentioned, he just wasn't active. He fought once in 14, twice in 15, once in 16, once in 17. And that's tough. I mean, especially as as young as he was then, he's only 27 right now. So he's still got some time. So hopefully it's, it is now that he stays active. I'd like to see him fight again, maybe in the fall, keep that momentum going because uh, he's in line to get a pretty good fight in, in the featherweight division. Yeah, he absolutely is. I mean, you got to get wins like this. Um, you know, it, the, the main thing here is that he did win. So I, that will obviously move him up the, the, you know, sort of the ladder. And I think we need to figure out where he fits. You, you beat a guy like Lamas. That's great. That looks good. I think you could argue Lamas is probably like a gatekeeper in the division now. Now let's see how you do against some of the upper, upper echelon of talent. And I'm excited for, for what the future holds for him. Claudia Gedalia against Carla Esparza. Carla Esparza surprised me. I thought she was going to get ran over in this fight. And as odd as it sounds, if you were to point out Carla Sparza's strong suit heading into this, maybe the wrestling. It's yeah. hard to say because Gedalia is such a monster. And with Gedalia, you'd say probably pressing forward, landing some big strikes. It was much of the opposite. Sparza cracked Gedalia after she got big brothered for a little while. 
with an overhand and actually headbutted Gedalia on the ground. I don't know how the how the ref missed that, but after the first round, as far as this corner said, change of plans. Let's box her. That's what's working. That's what's working best. And it did work best. And eventually, as we saw, Esparza's grappling hasn't evolved, and neither has Gedalia's gas tank. Fortunately for Esparza, in the third round, Gedalia's gas tank was a little weaker than her grappling ability, but it wasn't enough to get the get the, the win. Gedalia got the unanimous decision, and the crowd did not like it. And I don't think that she realized that they were booing the fact that she got the call. I think they thought that they were booing Carla Esparza. That was not what happened. It wasn't yeah. what happened. But no. uh, Claudia Gedalia keeping her name in the mix. She did. I, I was pretty disappointed in this performance. Like you, I, I thought that Gedea had a pretty clear way to win this fight. Uh, you know, like like you said, if you were looking at this fight on paper, I think maybe Esparza could win with the wrestling. But I mean, this was a very close fight. You could have almost argued this went the other way. Um, you know, I did pick Gedalia heading into this fight, but I, I would have no issue with people uh, saying that Esparza won the fight. Um, here's the thing. You know, I think the Claudia Gedea that fought Joanna, I think that Claudia Gedea is long gone. This is, you know, another fight where, in my opinion, she got the win, but she she didn't really look outstanding, and I don't really know where she goes from here. Uh, you know, the win is good, obviously, with uh, you know Sparza being a former champion. But I don't know. I wasn't that impressed with with Carla um, or, or Gudea. Uh, you know, her face was kind of banged up. I believe she went to the hospital after the fight as well, too. So taking a lot of damage in this fight. So I don't know what you do with her at this point. I mean, she's still in the in the mix and all that. And I guess with Rose being champion now, that sort of adds uh, you know uh, gives her a shot if if she wants to go for a title again. But uh, you know. At the end of the day, she gets the win. And how about Carla Esparza now? You know, she gets that big win over Cynthia Calvillo. She had that split loss to Random Marcos, where I think people thought she probably would have won that one. And uh, now she's, she loses another fight here. So who knows where she goes from here. But, uh, yeah, uh, it was a good fight. Just uh, not really that impressed by Gadea. Yeah, I think that Rose being champion opens it up, of course, again, for Jessica Andrade, who has won five of her last six and uh, did have a title shot last year. But has won fights and then you have Gedalia who hasn't been beaten by Rose hasn't fought Rose and kind of ran out of opportunities that's that's the position that every flyweight we've talked about fantasizes about somebody knocking off uh Mighty Mouse Johnson in order to give them another shot I mean I thought that was a cool motivation for Henry Cejudo on the Ultimate Fighter he wanted to make the next guy to beat Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson after that season of the Ultimate Fighter because he wanted his next crack. He didn't want to have to wait as long as he has to get that. So uh, that's opened up a lot in that UFC women's strawweight division as well. Curtis Blades, KTFO'd Alistair Overeem. If you beat Curtis Blades, you're going to have to... Somebody is physically stopping that fight, whether it be the corner or the ref or a doctor, because I don't man, I don't see him getting knocked out cold, at least anytime soon. It's going to add up. He is such a quiet, mild-mannered guy, has a little bit of a stutter sometimes. So you, when you see this type of violence out of him that just switches, he had that fight in the bag. That yeah. fight was sealed. It was delivered. He has this granite chin, was able to take over him down with regularity, and uncorked these violent elbows. Now, early in round two, the two played chicken, and I saw Rogan spot it, but I don't think he knew what caused it. Overeem rolled his ankle because Blades feigned, like, feigned a takedown, and Overeem got a little shook by it, and I think rolled his ankle in anticipation. This is a special type of wrestling that Curtis Blades has. He took two rounds of shots from Francis Ngannou, and finally somebody else had to stop it. But... He wants that title shot. What do you think of his performance? Do you think he can get that title shot? Great performance. Uh, like you, I felt like, uh, you know, Blades was on his way to winning that fight, sort of the way he was on his way to winning the Hunt fight, which he did win, uh, with his wrestling. And I knew as soon as he got that first takedown early on, I was like, okay, this is probably going to be Blades' fight. Because I saw, again, I saw a lot of people on social media being like, how is Overeem the underdog heading into this fight? But it's like, Blades is good. He's got good wrestling. And if you can't stop the takedown, you're screwed. And that's what happened to Alistair. Now, Alistair had his moments. You know, when the fight was standing, he was able to land, land some shots. And I, I was a little uneasy with how many shots Blades was, Blades was taking. But, oh, again, yeah. if you get hit by Mark Hunt and you survive that, you're going to survive an Overeem punch as well. So, Blades, Blades, you know, persevered once again, got through it. And then, you know, to me, this is, I'm sure in his head, he's got the hometown crowd. He's a Chicago guy. 
He's got to go out there and make a statement. And he did that, you know, finishing over him the way he did just viciously at the end like that. That was great. And and it certainly, I think, puts him ahead of, of you know, an Alexander Volkov or someone else that they might be having in mind as far as the title shot after this. I think you can give it to Blades, no problem at this point. Um, you know, I think there's still some area for improvement in, in his, 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 his skill set. But just look at the improvements he's made. The loss in Nagano, changing camps, going to Colorado, training over there. He's 27 years old. I'm really excited about what the future's holding for Curtis Blades. And uh, like you mentioned off the top, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah, we have uh, a couple of interviews with him over at FightfulMMA.com. Just hit that keyword, Curtis Blades, up at the top. So for, uh, Alistair Overeem's dropped two in a row. It's the first time that he's done that since 2013. He had that that rough stretch where he lost three or four and then came back and became a contender again. I'm not writing him off anytime soon. You know, He's a 38-year-old guy, but... You know, heavyweights skew older. Curtis Blades, I think, deserves this title shot. And I had somebody say, oh, Volkov just beat Verdum. Well, Blades just beat Overeem and Hunt and riding a six, should be a six-fight winning streak, but got that fight overturned after he tested positive for marijuana, which was weird. And I'm really interested in how his game switches up if he's facing either a Cormier or a Stipe Miocic. Right. How does the wrestling, is it negated? Is it somehow better? Is You know, I'm not comparing him overall to John Jones, but John Jones stepped in against wrestlers that a lot of people thought would negate his wrestling, and that didn't happen. Like people, yeah. They thought that people with better wrestling credentials than John Jones would handle him, and that just wasn't the case. And I think what what kind of wrestling, it was like in junior college, wasn't it? He was a JUCO guy. Uh, Blades was and you never know just who has that overwhelming talent and the thing I like the most about him he's 27 years old think about that we're talking like maybe if he wants to be he might still be in the game a decade from now and we're talking about him in a U. okay he might still be in the game 15 years from now the way that heavyweights act sure that's nuts that's nuts and his control is magnificent and effortless and he's not he doesn't seem like he's the biggest heaviest heavyweight but he's able to distribute his weight so well it was it was an outstanding performance i think he deserves that title shot and man i'm excited for that uh super fight next month give him the title shot give that man a shittle tot put him put him front row at 226 and uh you know get I get agree. him in the cage do do the stare down if they're smart about it so it's time what the people at least the most of the people that are here came to see james mike jackson defeated cm punk in what i would call an all-time terrible ufc fight i'm putting this up there with some of the early tournament fights as far as ugliest fights go in the modern era you would have to remind me of an uglier ufc fight i'm willing to go kimbo dada if it's expanded to Bellator and mainstream. This was horrible. Uh, One thing you hardly ever see in the UFC is people doing the old whirly bird when they miss a leg kick. CM Punk looked like a goddamn tornado. I don't know how strong winds didn't pick up as often as he was doing that. And I get it. I'm going to get people in the comments say, could you do any better? It ain't my fucking job to do better. <laughs> it's not my job to do better. It's my job to break down what he did terrible, which was virtually everything. And Mike Jackson wasn't much better. I had a lot of people saying Mike Jackson carried him. Mike Jackson played for him. I'm not or played him, played with him. I'm not sold on that. I'm not sold on the fact that Mike Johnson is so, or Mike Jackson is <laughs> so much better than CM Punk that he played with him the entire time. I think, quite honestly, Mike Jackson was like, you know, this guy doesn't seem to be going away. I really don't want to leave any holes and possibly get embarrassed by an errant fist or anything like that. This was bowling shoe ugly. It was so ugly, it's really difficult to break down, James. Yeah, it, there, there really isn't much to say. Uh, you could tell early on, you know, because some people thought, you know, with Punk, you know, training and, you know, Rufus Sport, maybe we're going to see a lot of leaps and bounds. But it was just a, it was just a bad fight. It just didn't look like two professionals in there. It looked really slow, really sloppy by both fighters. I mean, people love Mike Jackson on social media. I see all these, you know, he's doing all these interviews and talks about how he's a journalist and all this stuff. 
I don't really see the appeal with him, to be honest. And and I think tonight, you know, when he's talking about all these haters and, and all this stuff. It's like, dude, like, like you're, you're like, you would not have this opportunity if it wasn't for CM Punk. And, exactly. You know, and, and the, like, I think people are really like missing the point. Like we, I would hope we don't see Mike Jackson in the UFC after this. I know he mentioned Zufa boxing, but I don't even think he's a good boxer. It's just, the whole thing was a, it, you know, I get it. They Chicago card, CM Punk's from Chicago. He's got the eyeballs and all that. I get that. It's just, it was just a, it was just a horrible fight. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I'm not a fighter. I'm not, that's not my job to go in there and, and step in there. But I mean, come on, that was, that was not entertaining. There's nothing inspirational about it. Um, it was just, yeah, it was just a bad fight. It was just sort of one of those things you just want to, it's, it's like a bad accident, you know, on the drive and the, you know, on the highway, you see it, there it is. You drive right by it. That's how I sort of think about it. I have a lot of respect for the heart of CM Punk, but very Absolutely. little else that what what happened in that cage for either man uh mike john or mike jackson had a couple nice body shots thought it was very smart of him to say get me in zufa boxing i mean because yeah. who are you gonna put him up against in the ufc you're gonna find another contestant from tough that the, the remember the yoga guy on tough china that had never sparred before or whatever it was mm-hmm. that, that we always heard about so smart of him to throw his name in the hat for zufa boxing Put him on the first fight on one of those because why not? Why not? He's going to have as much of a name as a, whoever else you put first on a Zupa boxing card. Punk landed some strikes here and there, but would often give up on these takedowns up against the cage where, quite honestly, he had good angles. Like He wouldn't drop his hips. He wouldn't go deep behind the knee. There wasn't... I was almost impressed at the fact that he has spent three and a half years at Rufus Sport and ended up in positions that I've seen at least no male fighters in the UFC end up on. Because, you know, women's MMA is still very much in its infancy, and we see some of these odd positions sometimes. And to be honest, women are built a little bit differently. We're going to see some different positions. I saw some just weird herky-jerky horse shit throughout this. (laughs) One of the most miserable guillotine attempts that i have ever seen in my life and the fact that mike jackson let that go to the ground i don't know he literally cm punk was closer had a guillotine on so badly that he was closer to pulling off a double wrist lock than he was the guillotine that he was going for yeah Oh, it was, it was just, yeah. I mean, you just, you just, you, you watch, like, it's not even that. Like, if you watch, like, a, you, you'll watch the Contender Series on Tuesday, or you'll watch, you know, something that's a little, LFA is a good example. You watch an LFA card. Like, it, it, it's a clear difference between what we saw tonight between that match and even some of the guys on there that maybe only have, uh, you know, three or four fights or something like that fighting on a regional scene. There's just such a clear difference. Like, you can just see the way they punch, the way they go for takedowns and everything. Both of them, not just CM Punk. Like, Mike Jackson didn't look great either, and it's, you know, I, I, I know, like I said, I know people think he's, you know, he's popular in social media and all that. Get past that. It, it sucked. It was a bad fight tonight. There's no other way to look at it. CM Punk was punching from his back. I don't know, maybe he played UFC Undisputed 09. Yeah, Learn some tips that way. And yeah. thought that he could knock the guy out. That's another thing. I don't know how you spend three and a half years there training with pro fighters and you're punching from your back. Go for broke. Yeah, those are the things I remembered. And then I put in my notes. Like, I can't even begin. It was the single, one of the single worst in-cage performances that I've ever seen, ever, sustained over three rounds. And a lot of respect to him for even making it that far. Maybe it's a moral victory. I don't know. I think the guy is a hell of a pro wrestler. He is a, a really interesting personality. He is not a good MMA fighter. That being said, if he wants a fight in Bellator, they give it to him. That's what they'll do. And they'll probably put him up against somebody he'll beat. Somehow. I don't know how they'll find him. But they will. Now, one of the things I took issue with was Mike Jackson ahead of this saying, I have so much experience that somebody of Punk's experience can't overcome it. I thought that was complete horseshit. And, and people ate it up. I, I didn't. That, that's what bothered me too. That that was the one quote where I'm like, "Come on, dude!" And then so you figure that when he's going into this match, because you know the Mickey Gall fight. Here's the thing: like we didn't really get to see much of him. I mean, it was just a quick fight. It sort of ended. So you're thinking that maybe there's some tools that we didn't get to see. No, there isn't. 
Like, come on. <laughs> like that, that quote was just, it was ridiculous. And then that's what bothers me. It's like, it's one thing if he's going in there and saying, you know what? I don't have a lot of experience, but I have enough experience to beat CM Punk. But he made it sound like there's this like arsenal that he has that we haven't seen. And if that's your best shot, whether you're showboating or not, that was, you know, an F minus. I mean, there's no other way to look at it that way. Yeah, I thought that was, man, and I had, I've had some really dumb comments. I had somebody saying, unlearning everything you're taught and learning an entirely new system at almost 40. Shut up. (laughs) He spent three and a half years training with Anthony Pettis, Sergio Pettis, learning wrestling from Ben Askren, watching the UFC welterweight champion put in work. He was at Rufus Sport, a really, really good place. Over the last 1,000 days he was there, it was real bad, guys. It was inexcusably bad. He, he, ne- he hardly tried to gain underhooks. He worked overhooks an awful lot, never dropped his hips, never made any real attempt to secure a takedown up against the cage. He was dead. He was tired by the end of the first round. It was real rough. And I mean, the guy went through a trial. It was, it was bad. It was just bad. I was going to ask you, how much do you think his age sort of played a factor in that? Cause you know, as you're younger, you, you kind of absorb things a lot easier. And I, I think that, you know, maybe for him, I, cause I wouldn't know this, but you might have more sort of insight on this. Maybe because he's learned so much in wrestling, they sort of used to training it a certain way or, taking in things a certain way and maybe that sort of you know hindered him learning at rufus sport because i agree it's just to, to be there for that long and here's the thing guys a lot of fighters when they're training they got a job on you know on the side and they're, they're yes. doing other things and he's a millionaire who's doing this full time like you got to pick up something and it just didn't, it didn't look like a whole lot he's batman only he doesn't win he uses his <laughs> his millions of dollars to be able to train where he is and he somehow makes millions more he had a cracked skull in his 20s that ain't a good start no he's had several concussions and there is no way that the mileage that he put on his body in pro wrestling didn't affect him he had hour-long matches for the love of god before he got to wwe not to mention the wwe road schedule and i mean literally the last week and a half was an attorney and himself recounting his years of abuse on his body and a golf ball to tennis ball sized cyst that was on his back as he was bumping towards the end of his career the man was beat up he that's not good man like even Brock Lesnar when he went to UFC he had a couple years of WWE schedule on him CM Punk did several years much later in life and for the love I hope he comes back to pro wrestling I really does I do because he is <laughs> he's among the most talented I've ever seen in that spectrum and I admire the fact that he tried to parlay it into something else that he wanted to do. I'll never fault him for trying to chase his dreams and using whatever he can to, to do that. But this was ugly. This was bad. And I didn't think it would be so bad that I would find it a little offensive, but I did. I found it a little offensive. Not so much that I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's a black eye to the sport. I mean, I knew enough of what we were getting into, but I thought after three and a half years of training at Rufus Sport, some of the basics and fundamentals would be a little more sound. That being said, if he decides he wants to come back to WWE tomorrow, he's headlining WrestleMania next year. That's the bottom line. That's just how it is. Whew. Number 12, Tai Tuivasa defeated number nine, Andre Arlovsky via unanimous decision. Even though Tuivasa won this, I thought that it opened up some uh, maybe a blueprint on him that definitely wasn't there before he's never been past the first round i was impressed by his cardio but sometimes he gets a little eager and sloppy at times and i would really like to see him refine his uppercut because there's no reason that that andre arlovsky shouldn't have been knocked out by several of these shots what do you think well, I 
I think this wasn't that great of a performance for him. Um, you know, I think you could have argued that Arlovsky could have won this fight. It was that close. I didn't think it was, you know, and that's what you just said there. That was the narrative I was hearing on social media from a lot of people. Arlovsky's going to get knocked out. This is, you know, the, the up and comer, this and that. You know, I picked Arlovsky, and I'm not I'm not saying this is sort of a bias thing here, but I just wasn't that impressed with Tuvesa. I mean, if you're supposed to be this up-and-coming prospect, you finish an Andre Arlovsky, and he didn't do that. And he left it to the judges, and I'm telling you, like when it went when, went to the scorecards, um, and I believe there was five media members that I checked uh, that actually scored it for Arlovsky. I thought Tuvesa won, but still, you know, kind of by the, the skin of his teeth. But um, there's a lot of holes there. Now, here's the thing. He's a young guy. He's, you know, he's not like, you know, getting up there in age or anything like that. He's got an undefeated record. He is 25 years old. So there is some room for improvement there. But for anyone saying that, you know, he, he made like a, a statement tonight, I, I just I just I can't see it that way. This is a nice win for him. It looks good on the resume. Beating a former UFC champion. But uh, I, I just I didn't think it was that like a like a blow away performance or anything like that. I don't think that this really hurt Andre Arlovsky either in, in defeat. I think it hurt tied to Ivasa more than it hurt Andrei Olovsky because Tuivasa had this this almost aura about him finishing fights off in such quick fashion and being so charismatic after the fact and saying line another one up. I think it's a while before we see Tuivasa, maybe maybe even the end of the year before we see him whenever they go back to Australia. Andrei Olovsky will stay about where he is in the division. He always finds a way. He does. But Tui Vasa will now hop into the top 10, and I could see him getting, you know, a Derek Lewis. I could see him taking on, I don't know, somebody like that. Maybe maybe even a, well, a returning or Junior Dos Santos somewhere down the line, some somewhere like that where they're either looking for him to make a name or someone to keep themselves relevant at the expense of him, essentially. But also I think they're going to help use him or use him to help drive that market. So yeah. as they should, as they should, because they got a couple good ones in Tuivasa and Robert Whitaker out there. They certainly do. Uh, you mentioned JDS. You know, th- this is what I think is going to happen, or I, I kind of hope it happens. It would be kind of an interesting matchup. Usually, when guys, uh, you know, former champions or notable fighters like a guy like Arlovsky are at the tail end of their career, they get the prospect fight. They usually lose it, and then they get like sort of a notable fight to c- sort of run off into the sunset. And I think he's, I think Arlovsky is going to end up fighting JDS because I think JDS is going to lose to Ivanov. And I think they haven't fought. And I think on paper, that looks like a kind of intriguing matchup. And same thing with Mark Hunt. If Mark Hunt loses to Alenik, I think that's a fight, too, that you could do with Arlovsky and Hunt. So I think those are two really good options for Arlovsky. Give him some time off here. You know, he's already got two fights this year. Let him maybe take the rest of the year off and then go back the year after and do a, do a fight like that. And for Tua Vesa, I mean, you just give him whoever's sort of in line as far as the rankings go. I don't think it matters at this point. He got sort of the signature win, you know, the the, the former champion on his resume. But, you know, you, you got to build him slowly and, uh, you know, capitalize, like you said, on that uh, market in Australia. The UFC fight uh, post-fight presser is going on right now. Over at Fightful MMA on Twitter, we have you covered. Uh, Holly Holm chimed in on the weigh-in system, says, I don't know why it has to be 9 a.m. or 5 p.m., why not something in the afternoon, even 11 a.m. or noon? I think that sounds a lot better as opposed to what they have going on now where you have people waiting around all day in early on or in the evening. I like that. Dana White uh, puts over Whitaker, said he's had bad luck with injuries. So it's probably a good idea that Romero move up to 205. Won't encourage Colby Covington to do anything different but will likely set up a meeting between Colby and Trump <laughs> and uh, says it's always good to hear Tyron Woodley wants to fight. Uh, Dana loves that uh, Holly wants it all and says that CM Punk should wrap it up. Doesn't have an update on Punk, but the quote he left on Jackson was... I'm reading it right now. It's hilarious. Quote, I got the sense he's a complete fucking idiot, and I couldn't <laughs> wait for the fight to end, and I regret not putting it on Fight Pass. End quote. Wow, wow. He, was, he was more harsh than we were. Yeah, he was. At least on, on Jackson. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's Dana White for you. Holly Holm defeated and dominated Megan Anderson. The betting line started to shift a little bit yesterday after weigh-ins when people saw how big Megan Anderson was. Unfortunately for her, that was really only a factor during that you know, almost cliche every round starts on the feet exchange where she would often find some success, 
But Holly Holm out-wrestled Megan Anderson. And I think, man, sometimes you forget how strong a Holly Holm is. I mean, I had somebody saying, oh, she out-muscled Cyborg. Yeah, Megan Anderson's a lot bigger than Cyborg, even. Megan Anderson's huge. She's almost six foot one. And Holly Holm just completely pinned Megan Anderson, worked her over, dominated her. This was a win that I think that Holly Holm absolutely needed. And, and the UFC needed this too. I know in, at the end of the day, they would like an Anderson to win just because then you have that fight with Cyborg and that sells itself. But here's the thing now. I mean, to me, Holly Holm has to fight one of two people next. She's either got to fight Amanda Nunes, or sorry, I should say Amanda Nunes has got one, one of two people yes. to fight next. Either Holly Holm or Chris Cyborg. That, that's it. I one mean, or one or the other. At this point, and those are the only two interesting fights. And, you know, for Holm, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw that, uh, you know, I guess uh, Nunes said she, she's game uh, for, for that fight uh, with Holm. It's, it's a fresh matchup. It's a matchup that needs to happen, that division. You know, we just had the fight with Rocky with all the controversy there. I think it definitely makes some sense. But, you know, th- in a way, it is good for the UFC because, you know, Anderson, I tweeted this out tonight. You know, she had the layoff. The last two girls that she beat are retired and Charmaine Tweed and Peggy Morgan. You know, she's had all these issues. I, I know she was supposed to fight Cyborg. She was kind of hyped up a bit. I mean, it's a huge jump going from Charmaine Tweet to Holly Holm, a former champion, and also the boxing credentials she has as well, too. Did Tweet Anderson- finally retire? Tweet, yeah, she. I believe she did, yes. Wow. Yeah, I knew that. I mean, she was a she's little like 42 or something. Anyway. I know you're not sp- supposed yeah. to say a woman's age, but uh, I think in this case I get a pass. But um, no, well, I, I- Cyborg finally blocked me, or her boyfriend did, because I took a shot at the cast of Tough. I said, you know, this, this isn't a very strong cast. You have like maybe two solid prospects there. And somebody said, don't you think the, or Cyborg said, don't you think the weight cut to 135 affected some of these people? I said, well, considering that one of them fought at 115, no, I don't. (laughs) And she said, I don't like the disrespect that you show some of these fighters. And I said, I don't like the disrespect that you show your girlfriend's social media, but here we are at this impasse. And then the social media manager blocked me, but you'll have that. Also, uh, thanks to you and Steve Muehlhausen, I don't think there's been any outlet that has interviewed her more than Fightful. <laughs> so <laughs> they can keep me blocked because I think we've interviewed her more than ChrisCyborg.com has interviewed her. Right, yeah. In the last couple of years, so whatever. That's true. Um, just just quickly quickly on Anderson, though. Like, like I think there is some some room for improvement here. Um, you know, you, you give her a, a 35er that moves up, someone that, that she can, you know, be competitive with. You still build her here. You know, you mentioned the Aussies with, you know, uh, Tuavesa. You know, Anderson has a pretty decent fan base there. You know, she's with Paradigm. She's obviously going to get, you know, marketed well and all that. So you, there's room to grow with Anderson. Like I said, she's not, you know, 35. She's 27. She's still sort of building her way up here. And obviously we know she's, she's you know, not championship material yet. And the thing that's good here is that, you know, Holmes getting up there in age. She talked about that at the, at the you know, post-fight presser or the post-fight interview. Um, like I said, you know, you do the fight with Nunes. You still get a little bit of life out of her because she has a little bit of drawing power, you know, obviously with the Rousey win and everything else. So I think this actually isn't that bad of a situation for the UFC. And, uh, you know, the, the fight itself, I think, showed that Holm is, you know, still 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 great at what she does. I was a little surprised she hadn't fought Nunes yet. Like, in my yeah. mind, I kind of thought that that was exhausted already, but it wasn't. Also... For all we know, women's all the women's divisions could be like essentially men's light heavyweight and heavyweight where these women can kind of go older. We do we don't always know how a woman's body will react compared to you know a, a man's at one forty five or one thirty five. So uh, we'll we'll see how that all works out. A great win for Holly Holm and Megan Anderson will about bounce back and crush some absolute jabron that pops off of that tough season. So. No harm, no foul. Colby Covington becomes the UFC interim welterweight champion. Former Impact Wrestling star Colby Covington defeating Rafael Dos Anjos via unanimous decision. He took down RDA like it was nothing twice out of the gate with that body lock with these wild-ass strike setups. Like, he would just wade in. He didn't have a lot of respect for RDA striking, which surprised me throughout the duration of this fight. He was very willing to trade strikes and I mean, early on, Rafael Dos Anjos owned the clinch. And even though he got taken down, he wasn't afraid to throw strikes in the clinch, he being Rafael Dos Anjos. And Covington wasn't afraid to strike. A lot of people didn't like this fight. I thought it was intriguing. I think it's a lot different when you have a wrestler who is active, will strike, and talk shit. We never saw John Fitch doing that. 
I mean, Jake Shields a little bit, but he had some of the worst UFC striking of the time, too. Uh, what did you think stood out about Colby Covington besides that motor? Uh, just that he reminds me a lot of Chell Sun, and you know, people talk about sort of the, the outspokenness of you know how he goes about things, and, and he's sort of taken that he's like Chell Sun on steroids, just making things as offensive as possible. Well, well, but, but how like about Chell Sun on steroids? Well, you say so you mean yes, exactly. Well, which is, which is <laughs> more steroids. Right. I, I, I see what I did there. There you go. Um, but no, how about his game plan? I mean, did this not remind you a bit of, of him, uh, you know, Chell Sonnen against Anderson Silva a little bit? You right. know, just yes. putting him against the cage, doing a bit of striking. I mean, Chell didn't do as much uh, striking with Anderson uh, as Colby did in this fight. But, I mean, it was just a great game plan. RDA looked flustered from the get-go. He, I don't think he expected to have, you know, that much pressure from Colby. And clearly RDA was, you know, doing better in the striking department. But Colby was weathering the storm and still going on there. And, uh, you know, it's funny. All these people... I see you know saying rda clearly won these rounds get the stop being blinded by this guy and, and your hatred for him and, and yeah. just look at this fight objectively and and look at the fact that rda wasn't doing much i mean uh, i know people are saying colby was you know wall installing him or whatever but he was controlling the fight and i think the judges saw that and i think this is the best case scenario for the ufc as much as rda would have you know made a little bit of history you know being a double champ and all that the UFC needs something like this. I am so excited for this fight with him and Tyrone Woodley. There's some history there. There's there's a lot of outspokenness. Apparently, the belt you know may or may not go to Donald Trump. Like this is good. I, I know yeah. people hate Colby's shtick, but I mean, you know, we we've had him several times here on Fightful. He's a great interview. I know he sort of crosses the line, but you need some attention. And and if Colby had not said a word um, at all, you know, I, I I was at his fight when he beat uh, who did he beat at. Um, on the UFC Ottawa card. I was there live, but that was sort of the, the, the point. It was like right after that fight where he started going into sort of the heel mode. And it's like this guy, if this guy just would have remained how he was, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But he has brought some excitement into the welterweight division. And I think this is hilarious. And I think it's hilarious how all these people are losing their minds because he's the champion now. Yeah, some people lose sight of the fact. I mean, he is objectively a piece of shit. But yeah. <laughs> he's a good fighter. He has earned his place in this division. Yeah. He's what? Like a, he's 14 and 1. 14 and 1 and probably and like think about all the smack he talked heading into this fight. You know, it reminded me a bit of McGregor, you know, when he fought Aldo, it's yeah. like he has all this pressure going in. Like how does someone handle that and you either thrive under it or you fall under pressure and he thrived tonight and that's we don't get to see that too often in sports. You know, we see a lot of times people coming in overconfident, over cocky. Colby backed it up tonight, man, and that is one thing whether you hate the guy, you got to respect the fact that he went out there and took out a former UFC champion in Rafael Dos Anjos. Nine and one in the UFC is one loss to a, I mean, a prime Worley Alves. When people look right. at Worley Alves, like he might be the next coming of Brazilian Jesus. But yeah. I thought RDA found some great success in round four with a blitz early and a takedown of his own. Colby makes it up, and Colby looked a little weathered here and then just got that second win. RDA dragged him back down. Uh, in 10 UFC fights, only Rafael Dos Anjos and Dong Hyun Kim have taken down Colby Covington. Covington has taken down every opponent except for Damian Maya. There was a pretty brutal kick in the penis. <laughs> that was pretty tough. Uh, that was that was rough. For a wrestler who started off the way that Covington did, they mentioned it, Dan Lambert just brought him down. And, I mean, hey, you could think of worse people to teach you to talk shit than Dan Lambert as well. But <laughs> – he has some fundamental flaws in his striking, but his accuracy is much higher than I would have expected it. I had him winning three rounds. I would, you know, if you told me four, I would have went with that. I love that he would block the far leg of RDA on the body lock up against the cage and just completely stall RDA out and then land the takedown. Said that he's going to take the title, put it on Donald Trump's desk. Now there's there's been some talk this week. Like I think I feel like Covington's mentioned it and another welterweight mentioned it that like maybe Woodley never comes back and fights. I think Darren Teal said that. What do you think of that? Like, I mean, it's, it's been a year. He put off that shoulder surgery quite a while. Do you think there's any smoke to that fire? But I mean, Woodley seems like he wants to fight. I think Woodley was doing that to hold out for a George St. Pierre fighter, a Nate Diaz fighter, a big money fight, as he said. And you saw the Instagram post. I don't know if you did, but he had the dollar sign post on Instagram with Colby Covington's face next to it. I think he knows this. You know, to be honest, 
um, you know, as much flack as Woodley gets for, you know, both his performances and some of the stuff he said and everything like that. He kind of played his cards right because this is way more exciting. Imagine if, uh, you know, Woodley had fought RDA and lost. I mean, it, it would just be a completely different picture. But now you've got this fight that the UFC can build up. They're guys that used to train together. I mean, I'm excited for this. Storylines are what make people, what get people invested into the sport. And you have an organic one right here. And you're going to have, you know, the, the and, and it's essentially, you know, people who love Woodley and, and people who absolutely hate Covington coming together. And it, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Speaking of organic, omd.com. They're bringing you this show. Check them out. Follow them at OMG Butter. Use that code FightfulMMA. Let them know on Twitter that you heard about them from us. I can't tell you how much that helps. Also, check out our premium Fightful Select service. Main event time. Dana White says Kelvin Gastelum should have been the backup for this as Yoel Romero missed weight yesterday. And there's some issues around that. He showed up heavier for this week than he did a short notice fight in his last bout in which he missed weight. Yoel Romero, and I'm going to talk about this at the end. I don't want to really, we're, we're over time anyway, but mm-hmm. Yoel Romero has effectively lost three straight title opportunities. He done with that middleweight title for now. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going to, I mean, personally, if I'm the UFC, you go to 205 and you do, someone suggested actually do an interim title fight with him and Gustafson. No, you do a buddy cop show with him and Rockhold at 205 well, pounds. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that, that would, well, Rockhold's out, he's injured, right? So that's, that's how you can film the show though. It's a buddy cop show. He doesn't have to be healthy. That's true. He can just right. kiss and solve crimes all day. Um, but do. You're right. I mean, MMA is a weird sport that way. You know, like we just, uh, I was talking to someone about Alexander Shlomenko the other day. I know I'm not, I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, there but you know, yeah. he, he, you know, he arguably beats Gegard Mousasi. Then he fights some unknown guy, who, you know, was like a plus 550 underdog and he gets knocked out. Now where is he? He's way behind the eight ball at this point. And Romero, I mean, like you said, the, the close fight, you know, he beats Rockhold, but it's not for a title. Like, and and I know that he had a good fight tonight. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence if I ever want to see a trilogy because, you know, usually you don't see trilogies when the guy's lost twice. This was an entertaining fight. Romero's getting up there in age. Like, what do you do? There's so many options, but I think going to 205 might not be so bad, uh, especially with the, you know, how bad he looked after that weight cut. But uh, this this was like fight of the year, I would think. Man, right? Alan, virtually you can pick out three times in Alexander Schlaminko's career where you can point a finger at anything could happen. That's true. Tito Ortiz lost as well, yeah. Oh, yeah, and then losing to Halsey and effectively, like, Bellator, like, hey, maybe we'll take you, and then him working his way back up to where he was with Musashi. But, I mean, even early on, I mean, when the guy was, like, 22 and 3 and then lost a couple fights, came back and reeled off. I mean, he's had a lot of peaks and valleys throughout his career. This fight, man, you could tell that Whitaker <laughs> worked on that oblique kick for the last year. Yeah, my God, he it was almost poetic that he went after Romero's uh, knee, but he goes into movie mode again and breaks his hand and has a story to tell. And this was exceptional. Uh, Romero's eye got swollen shut after the first two rounds. And then we got, you know, C-level Kane, Stevia Dan Quinn, Kimbo with six months of sprawl training, motivated BJ, all these people. Round three, Yoel Romero is up there. This is one of the great rounds in UFC championship fight, UFC history. Elbows, head kicks. Romero caught Whitaker and swarms him, which has to be one of the most horrifying things to be a part of. Romero catching you and then swarming you. As often as Whitaker was landing in the first two rounds, you could tell that he was very cognizant of the, the potential of getting countered, and he was trying to stay away from that because he knew this could happen. This round three, what's going through your head, James? I'm thinking the fight's over. Um, you know, I don't know how Robert Whitaker was able to able to survive and sort of keep his wits about him, and especially you know finding out. I mean, I had a feeling his hand might have been broken or something because he, you know, you could tell something was up in the fight. But just to go through that, and you know, it's not like he had an easy fight with uh, Romero the last time either. Like it's, I, I give the guy props and coming off the layoff coming in here, like how is this guy still standing? I honestly thought the fight was going to be over at that point, but. You know what? That's what, you know, good, good job in the referee. Good job in all parties involved. We got to see, you know, like I said, one of, one of the all-time greats tonight. And, um, I mean, yeah, I, there, there were several times, not just in round three, but, you know, even in round five. I mean, I, I thought this, this has got to be done. And sure enough, you know, it's freaking The Walking Dead. These guys are still going, uh, going forward. 
This was an unbelievable round. Uh, Whitaker opens round four, catching Romero with head kicks virtually whenever he wanted, really targeting the fact that Romero couldn't see out of that eye. A kick in the penis served to give Romero a little bit of time to breathe. As uh, and Whitaker had stopped throwing his right hand, and it really became evident in this round. He goes full Faber, throws a few elbows here and there, employs that teep kick. Uh, Romero landed two big strikes, but those were really the only ones he landed in that round. That changes in round five. Whitaker gets dropped and swarmed again, somehow survives it. Robert Whitaker outlasts Yoel Romero, wins. I mean, his title wasn't on the line because Romero missed weight, so he has missed weight in a championship fight, missed weight in an interim championship fight, and then lost, I think, an interim championship fight or uh, an opportunity Just before that, we've talked about where Romero goes from here. Who's next for Whitaker? See, this is the tough thing right now. I think it would have to be Chris Weidman. And it's only just simple MMA math at this point. You know, Gaslam's sort of the guy that's, you know, got got sort of the the lot going on here. But Gaslam lost to Weidman last year. So if we're going by that, I think Weidman's the guy you got to do next. I know he's got injuries. I know there's all these things. It's a fresh matchup. Um, I, I, I think you could do Gaslam if, if Weidman can't come back soon enough, but I think Whitaker's going to need some time off. Weidman's a former champion, so that also holds a bit of, hold a bit of leverage. Who's Gaslam's manager? Ali Abdelaziz. He seems to know how to pull things out. He got Henry Cejudo, his rematch with Demetrius Johnson. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll probably be Weidman, though. If I'm a betting man, I think that's and, – and that's that's an exciting fight. I know Romero beat Weidman, but, um, you know, that, that's, and that to me is a, a fresh, fun, and exciting matchup. Yeah, I, I've been touting this for weeks in the Fightful Select UFC rankings update thing. This middleweight division is, you take a look at it five months ago, it won't look anything like that a year from now. Vitor Belfort retired. Michael Bisping retired. Anderson Sada, Romero and Rockhold likely up to 205. You could argue that Chris Weidman would be pretty well served to move, move up to 205, but why would he now? Yeah. Why would he now when so many of these guys have been effectively pulled? But by the time next week rolls around, Elias Theodoro might be a top 10 middleweight fighter based on everybody just leaving. So, And you have Apollo Costa emerging. You have a shoe face emerging. But none of them are quite there yet. And you none know what? Gegard Mousasi likely would have got the title shot if he would have stuck around. I mean, who knows what would have happened with him oh. as far as fights and everything. But that's that's a void. You know, people say there's certain signings that the UFC is not going to miss. Gegard Mousasi would have been a clear-cut one if, if he would have stuck around because, of course, he has that win over Weidman. I know it was controversial, but still. And, and virtually, I mean, the thing is, <laughs> Musashi could have had a shot at 205, too. That's true. <laughs> and probably should have if Rumble Johnson would have accepted that interim title fight against him. But I think even then, Anthony Rumble Johnson would have uh, probably, I think he knew he was going to retire. So, yeah, that's the thing. Um, pro wrestling fans, you may have seen me go back and forth with Corey Graves. I did get a message from Corey Graves saying that he would love to tell me his end of the story about CM Punk. So maybe you guys can look out for that. James, tell the people where they can follow you on social media. At Lynch on Sports, I keep things very simple. You can follow me there on Twitter. I'm always posting my stuff uh, over here on Fightful. And uh, I, I'm, I'm in the works of getting some stuff scheduled this week. I was on a, a long vacation, so happy to be back. and be doing a lot of good interviews this week, so just keep your eye out for that. Not going to mention anything yet. I always kind of hold off just in case things sort of uh, fall apart. But uh, Lynch on Sports is where you can find me. And, of course, Fightful MMA. Check out all my interviews on here. Going to have uh, some pros picks coming out uh, soon uh, for uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Leon Edwards to be on the lookout for that. And uh, thanks for having me, Sean. This was fun. I always uh, like coming on here and uh, talking fights. Very excited. Guys, leave us a thumbs up. Visit our friends at OMG. Follow me at Sean Ross Sapp. We have that Holy Smokes MMA podcast Tuesday, MMA Industry podcast Thursday. Thank you guys so much. Till next time, we're out. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.